Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. This podcast is brought to you today by the Forest Products Association of Canada, the voice of Canada's forest sector and its 230,000 workers. The moment is now for Canadian forestry and forest products. As governments look to kickstart economic recovery, Canada's forest sector has over 140 shovel-ready projects across the country worth over $1.5 billion to improve our facilities and operations, to make new innovative products, and to get more people working. A green economic recovery starts with Canada's forest sector workers and Canadian forest products. Learn more about FPAC's efforts to lead the charge to a net zero carbon economy, attract investment, create jobs, and bring more sustainably sourced Canadian forest products to Canada and the world by visiting www.forestryforthefuture.ca. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the CFI podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Cools, editor of Canadian Forest Industries Magazine. Today, you're tuning into a special episode of the podcast as part of our Women in Forestry series. My guest today is Carol Walker, a registered professional forester and manager of forestry policy and planning for the City of Toronto. Carol recently wrote a blog post for Women in Wood sharing her experience as a woman of color in the industry. While the forest industry has been focusing more and more on the importance of diversity and inclusion, Carol is still one of few women of color in the sector and is working to raise awareness about forestry as a potential career for women of color. So today we'll be discussing her experience in the industry, the barriers to getting more women of color into forestry, the importance of fostering a diverse and inclusive workforce, and more. Carol, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Ellen, for having me. This is great. Yeah. So um, your path to forestry, it wasn't a very typical one. You weren't aware that you could have a career in forestry until you came across the Faculty of Forestry at the University of Toronto. So why do you think that you didn't uh, know about the opportunities in forestry growing up? Well, I think um, the main reason was that there was just no exposure to the opportunities that exist in, in the forest industry. You know, all through school, we were taught, for example, uh, you know, geography and social studies. You hear about, um, you know, the various industries, uh, the prominent industries in Canada. You hear about uh, forest regions, for example, lakes and rivers and other things. Um, when it comes to industry, when it, um, pertaining specifically to forestry, I remember being taught about, you know, the forest regions and the forest industry and, and by industry, what I really mean is logging, because that tended to be the typical uh, information that we would get when they talked about fisheries, they talked about fishing, mining, miners. Uh, forestry was loggers. We didn't hear anything about the professionals, you know, the biologists, ecologists, or any other uh, profession that contribute to the forest sector at all. So let alone, you know, that uh, that you know, a, a career pathway. So it was really just lack of exposure. Yeah, I think that's kind of an issue for um, the industry as a whole now that there's not that much exposure or education out there about what opportunities are available in forestry. Mm-hmm. So um, what was your experience like at school at the University of Toronto? 
Well, um, at the University of Toronto, my experience was really, really good. Um, I really uh, enjoyed uh, being there. I enjoyed, uh, you know, the professors. They were great. Uh, made really good friends, lifelong friends. You mentioned up front that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything about forestry and that that, that was actually available to me until uh, I found out about it through the university. And it, it was funny because when I, when I saw the offering um, in the catalog, I just sort of knew that's it. That's exactly what I wanted to do when I saw the write-up and how it was described. And I was so um, firm, you know, that that's what I wanted to do until the day I actually arrived. Um, our first day was, it was like, a, I guess, an, an orientation. So it was before school officially started. I think it was on a weekend. And we went on um, a trip. I can't honestly remember where it was. It was so long ago. But uh, we met some of the professors and they sort of toured us around a little bit and showed us a few things. And I remember going um, as part of a, a walk, the professor was asking, you know, if some of us knew some of the trees that we were seeing. We had actually quite a, a few girls. Um, our year was the smallest year, we were told. I think we had about 36 students to start. And this was in 1986. Uh, actually, 85, I think. And we had about eight girls, and the rest were guys. And so girls and guys, um, they knew their trees. So I remember, you know, someone saying, well, what kind of tree is this? And someone saying, it's a basswood, it's a birch, it's a white pine, it's a, you know, whatever. And I'm sitting there looking at these trees, stunned, because honestly, I had no clue. The only thing I knew going in was that you had, you know, conifers and deciduous. I couldn't tell the difference between a, a spruce, pine, fir, or anything like that. And that's when I thought, okay, I'm in the wrong place. But uh, thankfully, you know, I decided to carry on. And um, someone said, don't worry, you'll learn everything that you need to learn. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, in the pity of stomach, you think, oh, boy, did I make a mistake. But uh, I'm glad I stuck with it. So definitely did learn a lot. I think it's a very noble profession. So that's the thing that uh, really got me hooked because I always wanted to ensure that we had spaces similar to the spaces that I grew up in and, and, and played in. Um, so I grew up near a ravine and that's where uh, we spent summers hanging out there. You know, um, there was a river running through it. Um, catching crayfish and doing other things and looking at the trees. I just always felt at home and at peace. And I always, you know, liked the notion of having um, that kind of environment. So that's what I wanted to do to ensure that you had spaces like those and you had trees that people could, you know, um, enjoy. Not so much for the production side, but more on the conservation side. So the things that we learned, you know, understanding that you have different paths You've got different types of management that you do in forestry that uh, led the way for me to understand that the area of forestry that I was really interested in was the urban forestry. I didn't even know that there was such a thing. But uh, yeah, that I think in my first year, I recognized that, yeah, urban forestry is definitely what I wanted to, to do in the, the, the field that I wanted to work in. So yeah, on a whole, UFT was absolutely great. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And um, it's funny that you mentioned kind of not knowing what the different species of trees are, because uh, myself, when I joined CFI, I 
definitely had no knowledge of forestry or any of the uh, different aspects that are involved. Mm -hmm. uh, so once you graduated, you uh, joined the City of Toronto's Urban Forestry Department. How did you get your start in that field and what was it like being a woman of color in the industry at the time? Um, well, I got my start um, doing summer work. Um, and uh, the, they were hiring um, students to work on a project um, that was ongoing. Um, the project had to do with um, uh, collecting information in ravine areas. And this is in former Toronto prior to amalgamation. Um, I got my start in 1986, actually, so summer of um, 86. And uh, so I was um, selected with another uh, student, actually from U of T, um, to work with Barbara Ubbins. She was supervisor at the time, another U of T grad. Um, so we were collecting data to um, help with um, developing uh, working plans for select um, ravine areas, the, the significant ones. Um, so we needed to take inventory of the trees that were there, uh, various shrubs, ground cover, herbs, identify recreational trails, for example, um, any issues like erosion, overuse. So just, you know, making note of all the different uh, issues or concerns that, that really should be addressed if these areas are to be managed. And we're talking about some active management to try and protect these areas, they were protected by legislation, um, but in order to, to really protect the character that made them special, they, they would need to have some active intervention. So um, it was the first of its kind, actually, in the city. So Barbara was tasked with um, trying to bring some order and, and organize work um, that could be done to support uh, conservation of these areas. So I had an opportunity to work on that. So I did that for three summers, actually. And then um, graduated in 1988. And that year, uh, near the end of the year, uh, Barbara went off on maternity leave. And I was um, asked to step in and fill in for her because I'd been there and, and um, had worked on this project for the previous summers. And so that's how I started my full-time work um, in the Parks and Recreation Department in the former city of Toronto. And of course, I've, I've continued on there. In terms of being a woman of color, I didn't actually think too much about it um, at the time because I was always so used to being the only one, you know, as a black female. Um, there were no others working in, in forestry at the city at the time. Um, forestry was a very small unit. And I was actually one of the only foresters in the unit that I worked in. We had others who came later. But I think I, all, I benefited at that time in those early years because the senior management in parks and recreation, they were very interested in supporting women in non-traditional roles. And so I think I also I benefited from the shift in thinking. The work environment really supported growth and development. And the fact that the, the tasks that I was able, that I was asked to do, I did very well. Um, so over time, I was assigned more complex responsibilities and through, um, you know, consistent performance, um, I was able to develop a good reputation and a track record. But, you know, in those early days, I was expected to provide my opinions and provide advice. And I was actually allowed to do just that. 
So, you know, being used to being the only one, um, it didn't really, like I said, I didn't really think about it, you know, myself as, as you know, a woman of color <laughs> per se and being the only one um, because I was so used to it, you know, my entire life. Um, you know, going to schools where, you know, it's predominantly white, um, uh, being in, in a very homogeneous um, environment. So you, you, it, it does get lonely at times, but I get so used to it. Okay. Um, so more generally as a forester for the city of Toronto, what's included in your role? So my role right now is, uh, is manager of forestry operations with responsibilities um, for the forestry policy and planning portfolio. Um, and what that includes is um, providing support for the various work units in forestry in terms of uh, policy and standards development, strategic planning, communication, customer service, data management and analysis. So it's a wide range um, of, of tasks and activities to support the various other units. So whether it's the um, planting, uh, natural area management, or uh, tree maintenance or the arboriculture side, my unit provides the support that might be needed um, in whatever forms when it comes to researching, for example, best practices and making recommendations um, for the development of, of new policies, for example, or guidelines to help in our interactions with the public, our interactions um, among each other with other divisions, recommendations for uh, changes in policies when it comes to things like bylaws um, or other legislation. So that's the kind of thing that we do in, in, in our unit. And um, strategic planning, for example, our current strategic uh, management plan is for 2012 to 2022. And that sets out um, our management goals and, and guides the work that we do in forestry. So we coordinate studies that actually support the development of um, strategic plans or initiatives, other initiatives. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, so it, it, it is quite varied and, and really all the work that I've done over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years has actually served me well in that um, because I have a very good understanding of the business of forestry and our processes, I am able to bring, um, you know, whether it's the field work that I've done, my, you know, traditional forestry background, and bylaw administration um, that I have done in the past and you know like the active forest management activities that I have performed definitely helps when it comes to um, helping to identify you know what some of the best practices are identifying how we should be evolving um, some of the things that we need to do to support sustainability to support forest health in a, in a sustainable way. I guess I'm not really saying it right, but uh, um, it's, it's really everything that we do um, is towards the end goal of having a sustainable, healthy forest. And because I've worked um, in so many different areas in the last 30 years, I have a really good understanding of the history that we have and understanding where we need to go and helping to guide us towards achieving um, the, the the vision and the ultimate goal. Sounds like there's a, there's a lot that you're responsible for and there's a lot that you've learned over the years. So it's definitely very interesting to learn yeah. more about that. So over the years, what were uh, some of the challenges that you faced in your role? Um, well, I think 
because of the variety of things that I have done, um, I've definitely faced a lot of challenges. And, and I played a key role in a lot of firsts when it comes to forest management at the city. And a lot of those firsts were challenges. So for example, active management of mature trees is something that we kind of take for granted now, but at the time um, when we first introduced that, um, you know, so much hinged on getting it right. So for example, working closely with, you know, advisory communities, I planned and implemented the first invasive species removal operation involving mature non-native and invasive trees and other vegetation, and including the replanting to reverse deterioration and improve long-term stand health and composition. We had to demonstrate that you needed to do active management in order to protect certain areas. So when I first started, people understood that, you know, trees were good and that's great, but to get to the point of understanding that trees were good, different trees had different characteristics, and that sustainability, wildlife benefits could be impacted depending on how you manage the resource. And our job was to manage for non-timber values to support recreation and recreational opportunities, you know, to improve longevity and minimize the disruption caused by recreation. Because we have, it's a city of 2.9 million people today. Um, it was always a very populous space. And the ravines and the natural areas that we have, um, you know, have to support a lot of use. So it's trying to find that balance. And in some cases, because of the introduction of invasive species and the use that we have, you know, we have to actually do intervention. So back then we started out by demonstrating, you know, removing some of the invasive species is good for supporting um, the native uh, species that, that give the character and, the, and, and significance to some of these areas. So we were able to convince the groups that we worked with that this was a good idea and we had to demonstrate you know, how it could be done and how it could be done well and what the replanting efforts would do um, to replace trees that, that would be removed. You know, we did that very well. And as a result, nowadays, when we, we do go in and have to, to do that kind of intervention, yes, we're still, you know, communicating and bringing, you know, the community group for the neighborhood um, residents on board. But it's something that they are now, I think, accepting of because it's been done before. Similar to prescribed burning, we introduced that in High Park in the late 90s to demonstrate the type of management that needed to be done in, you know, a rare fire dependent ecosystem. So, you know, we started by doing tiny areas to demonstrate what a fire looks like, um, the types of, of um, controls that would be in place to ensure that um, uh, it, it stays where we want it to stay and that the, the, the area would actually benefit from that type of, of management tool. And a lot of planning went into it, a lot of communication, a lot of partnerships with um, other professionals who work in that field. And we were able to, you know, convince public, the, uh, the civic officials, and others who um, had an interest in ensuring that, you know, the best possible outcomes were achieved. And we were able to do that. 
all of these things, it, it took time to really build a foundation. So that's something, you know, it, it was very challenging to be able to do, a lot of process, a lot of care, um, but it was so worthwhile and it's actually set us up to be able to do some of the things that we're doing today, you know, carrying to these people along and to the point where people are now saying, you know, we should, we should be doing more of that. Um, but of course, we're limited by uh, the budgets that we were given and the capacity that we have. So, yeah, those are just some of the challenges. But um, I found that, you know, people were very receptive. And again, it was a team effort. I didn't do this on my own. I had, you know, really good supports along the way. Staff team that I work with, the senior management, community stakeholders who are all on side. So, yeah, those were the, the challenges, a lot of the firsts. Yeah, it sounds like it was a very interesting time. And I'm glad to hear that it was such a successful uh, initiative and kind of getting more people to understand how important it is to manage the forest properly. Yes. So I kind of want to switch gears a bit now and focus more on uh, diversity and inclusion in forestry. Um, so in your 30 plus years as a forester, what progress have you seen uh, with regards to encouraging greater diversity and inclusion in the industry? Well, I can't speak empirically to what um, progress has been made in the forestry sector whether it's, you know, gender-based um, or a mix of gender, ethnic or cultural. But what I can say is that from what I've seen through my own travels and experiences, it's not necessarily as homogeneous as it once was when it comes to gender, at least. I have to say that I've seen a lot more women now than when I first started out. I'm not seeing many people of color, though. So we are few and far between. Um, in the sector that I work in, we do have, you know, some diversity information that we, you know, obtain through um, voluntary surveys. So at the City of Toronto, for example, you know, there's a voluntary count me in survey. It uh, invites employees to voluntarily disclose, you know, how they self-identify. Um, and through that, we're actually able to understand what segment of the population we're actually are reflected in the workforce. And, you know, the city, as with, I think, a lot of municipalities, uh, are interested in ensuring that the services they are providing are provided by people who are represented and are representative of the communities um, that we're serving. So um, I actually tried to find out a little bit of information about us at the city, and specifically in urban forestry, when it comes to, um, you know, diversity and gender. Um, and the last bit of information I was um, able to, to obtain was actually um, just updated this year. And specifically in urban forestry, we have 47% uh, of our workforce is female. And 18% has identified as being racialized. So actually, that's not, not too bad. But yeah, in terms of um, racialized individuals, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to hear that the um, number of women has increased, but it is definitely an issue uh, with regards to having more people of color in the industry. We don't see mm -hmm. a lot of people of color and it tends to be very white uh, industry. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, it's been talked about for a number of years and, you know, it was being more welcoming of, you know, Indigenous peoples. And I think that's great. Um, but, you know, I just, I wonder if some of the indigenous peoples or people who and people who live in the north 
are actually um, suffering from the same things that I say we're suffering from in the South and that, you know, like not necessarily having the exposure uh, to uh, the profession, understanding what, um, you know, employment opportunities are actually available. Mm-hmm. So it's something that definitely needs to be improved. And I think um, exposure is definitely um, one of the key pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I know there are um, a lot of organizations that are trying to increase exposure and get out into these communities and uh, kind of make more people understand the opportunities that are available to them in forestry. Mm -hmm. But as you probably know, in in 2016, a report came out that said that women only accounted for 17% of the forestry workforce in Canada. So uh, since then, the Canadian Institute of Forestry and the Centre for Social Intelligence, with support from the federal government, launched a three-year action plan, the Gender Equity and Forestry National Action Plan. And the efforts related to that plan are going to conclude in June, but the uh, recently launched Free to Grow in Forestry microsite will be a Mm -hmm. kind of hub for information about diversity and inclusion in forestry. Um, So I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on this initiative? Well, I think it's a long time (laughs) coming. It's long overdue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so happy, you know, um, that this is happening. I think, you know, to give this a national focus is extremely important. You know, we are a forest nation. And having a a national focus is warranted. Plus, it's important to take action and to support, you know, sentiments and statements that are, you know, often voiced about the need for gender equity. Funny, like at one time, you know, being a lawyer or a doctor, engineer, you know, or a banker, um, even being a teacher, you know, was considered, you know, a man's role. You know, those dynamics have changed over time. Now in those professions, women are either on par with men or are otherwise, you know, very well represented. Being a forester is obviously um, a traditional male profession. And though it's slowly changing, it still remains male-dominated. I think the underrepresentation of women in forestry-related work will eventually change when employers um, adopt practices that, you know, support the recruitment of women, support women when they're in the workforce so that they can progress and actually support the retention of women. When you think about um, women in non-traditional roles, you know, visions of uh, like policing and firefighting and construction workers, you know, are, are what comes to mind. And the other day, I actually asked the question um, of a few people just to see what they would say. And, you know, those are the typical things that I get when I say, you know, like, what do you think of some of the non-traditional roles? And, and those are the typical things that come up. Uh, forestry and forest related work doesn't come up. So, yeah, definitely the larger issue, I think, of, you know, lack of awareness of uh, forest related occupations or professions it's you know proverbially lost in the forest and for forest country it's surprising and very perplexing no i agree i mean you'd think that canada has been built on forestry you'd think that there are um are more women involved and it's more diverse than it is but i suppose Mm -hmm. uh historically women were also seen as being in the home and shouldn't be out in the workforce as much so Mm mm-hmm so I think, you know, encouraging women to enter the profession um, will hopefully have the spin-off benefit of raising the profile 
um, and the awareness of the job opportunities the forest industry offers. That's what I hope happens for sure with all the work that uh, CFI is doing with Women in Forestry and our Women in Forestry Virtual Summit that we're hosting on March 9th. So hoping yeah. to see the change there. Mm -hmm. I've registered for that. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, glad to hear it. Yeah, so historically the forest industry has also struggled to attract younger employees, um, not just female, but men and women. So what work do you think still needs to be done to increase representation of young women and particularly young women of color in the industry? So, you know what, I think uh, you need to increase um, representation. Uh, number one, I think unless you have exposure to, to career options, you won't even know a career is possible. Um, and people aspire to, uh, to be what they can see. So, for example, when you ask a child, you know, um, what they want to be when they grow up, they'll typically say, you know, doctor, nurse, teacher, farmer, you know, policeman, policewoman, or whatever. Um, and these are the jobs that they're exposed to, right? This is, these are the things that they know about. You know, a list of possibilities of careers certainly grows as a, as a child grows and is exposed to other professions um, and the possibilities that are actually out there. So exposure to the possibilities is definitely needed. I would say also, you know, um, unless you see yourself represented in the career, you won't think you belong. So, you know, the best way to encourage Black and Indigenous people of color to get curious about forestry and other forest-related uh, careers um, is to not only provide the exposure to, to the careers, but also to pre present images of diverse peoples in those careers. Um, people of color have to see themselves. You know, we have to see ourselves and have that acknowledgement that we're not invisible, but rather that we too belong and that our, our, our contributions are welcome um, in the various roles. So there's that, but you also, you know, I'd like to think that the awareness has already been raised, but, uh, you know, not necessarily. So um, definitely, um, you know, uh, diversity training, you know, should continue to be offered, you know, but focusing on, um, not so much the awareness, but on like some of the behaviors that, um, you know, would tend to be exclusive. Um, sometimes people are doing things that don't even realize that they're doing, you know, this inherent bias that we have. So, yeah, if growth is to occur, those are some of the things. And, and uh, yeah, I think it'll start there. Yeah, you make some excellent points. I know um, representation is definitely a key issue. And if kids don't see people that look like them doing, something in the forest and they're not going to really think that that's an option for them so mm -hmm. in terms of retaining women young women and young women of color what do you think needs to be done because um, i know the industry is kind of struggling with that you can recruit a lot of women but they won't necessarily stay in the industry right well i think in order to retain you do need to have a welcoming work environment where, you know, like the culture of the workplace is such that it supports the contribution of everyone and not, uh, you know, place certain employees at the margin. Because, you know, if you don't feel valued, then you don't want to stay. So you need to have a workplace where ideas are welcome. Um, the opportunities to participate isn't limited. And this is basic stuff, you know, where your achievements are actually celebrated and you're acknowledged. Opportunities for advancement are actually made available to all and where women are actually encouraged to apply for promotional opportunities. 
you know, offering mentorship, definitely need to ensure that the women are included as mentees. I think we need to be intentional in ensuring that women have equal access and are encouraged to participate in opportunities. It can't be, you know, the old boys club. Even things like, you know, simple things, um, like on, on the most basic level, you need to have a work environment where women are physically accommodated with facilities that meet their needs. Like washrooms, for example, is <laughs> the things that you take for granted. But in some workplaces, um, you know, you don't have, you know, good facilities for women. And I know, like, even um, in the municipality that I work in, there was a lot of effort put into ensuring that, um, especially in some of the yards where it was predominantly men, as more women came into the workforce, there was efforts made to accommodate the, the needs of the women by providing space for them, you know, because all of these things, you know, when you add them all together, you know, like negative environments and not being supportive, it really reads that you don't belong, right? So the absence of facilities and, and just simple basic things like that. And, you know, maybe even offering um, flexible work um, and, and work hours where possible. This can be a great equalizer for women and, and still predominantly women who have childcare needs. And so with COVID and, and a lot of us are working remotely, you can see how that works and productivity does not necessarily have to suffer. So I think being flexible and, you know, recognizing that there are some barriers that are definitely systemic and, you know, seeing what can be done to uh, remove those barriers. So this is small incremental changes, like the small actions, you know, you sort of add them all up and ultimately these things will lead to greater change. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And um, I think the flexibility issue is something that forestry companies need to address, especially when it comes to shift work, because mm -hmm. women are still kind of um, relied upon as the main source of childcare. Right. So do you have any piece of advice for leaders of forest products companies with regards to how they can foster and maintain a more diverse and inclusive workforce? Well, I would say take action, you know, and be intentional about the action, you know, that uh, that they would be taking. Look at the work environment and the workplace, the culture, and and make those small changes. And you know, even thinking um, about what they needed, the leaders, what did they need to succeed, and make that available for women. And I think it's important to to recognize too that sometimes. Like providing the same opportunity doesn't equalize the opportunity. I, I would say also that just, you know, step out and be different, not being satisfied with the status quo, because we are where we are now, you know, 2021. And the fact that we're, you know, still having this conversation, um, it just seems so daunting. But I, I think we just have to think about continuous improvement. Be the leader. Step out away from the status quo. Studies have shown, and you know, I think it's, it's for people who are um, advocating for this. You know, we we're saying that um, you know productivity doesn't suffer when you hire women and uh, minority groups. Um, you are missing out on a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of skills, and, and the passion that comes with it. So you know, why limit yourself? That's what I would say. Yeah, that's some very good advice and something that I hope any of our listeners who are leaders of companies are going to take. 
so what advice do you have for any young woman, uh, particularly young women of color who are listening and might be considering a career in forestry? I would say, uh, you know, seriously do consider a career in forestry. Know that you'd be involved, you know, in a, in a noble field, contributing to sustainability of a renewable resource that's vital and touches the lives of so many. Basically, I think every single Canadian is touched by the forest industry. So whether it's, it's production, you know, research and development, analytics or modeling, or, you know, management for conservation in urban areas, we need smart, uh, innovative and dedicated people. Definitely rewarding. You can see the difference that you make and the impact. Um, and there's so many uh, careers or roles that are available with a forestry education. So I would say seriously consider it. And of course, you know, um, people like me, like we're aging, you know, and I think there will be a lot of opportunities opening up, you know, the whole baby boom just moving through. And, and we definitely need more people, let alone, you know, climate change. There's so many issues um, that we need, you know, to have people working at coming up with solutions for it. And, and in forests and forest management is definitely a solution. So be part of the positive change that we need. Yeah, that's some excellent advice and you make some very good points there. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience and talk about this very important topic. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Stay tuned for our next episode.